I heard about two friends who decided to go to lunch together, and one of them said on the way, I need to stop by the bank and get some money. Just as they walked into the bank, two armed robbers burst in behind them. Everybody against the wall said one of the robbers, and the other one went and started taking money from the tellers. The one who lined all the customers up said, I need everybody's wallet, their watch, anything you've got on you that's worth anything. So he started going down the line, taking wallets and watches and so forth. Now, the two friends were standing next to each other, just kind of stiff, looking straight ahead, and one of them reached down and put something in the hand of the other one. And without looking down, he said, what did you just give me? He said, it's the hundred dollars that I owe you. (laughs) You ever feel like that? It's bad enough what's going on, but then it gets worse and worse and worse. I would think that those that we read about in the book of Daniel are kind of feeling that way. How do you stand up when life is doing its darndest to beat you down? I can't catch a break is a phrase you may use. Moments when life is hammering away at us. But that's exactly why we're looking at the book of Daniel because we all have those moments when things really are not working well. Every time it looks like things are improving for Daniel or his friends, there's another disaster. There's another challenge. Another threat shows up. But it's the response, the way they respond, that tells us so much about how we get through those tough times. And they do come. Hard, difficult times. We can't control everything that happens to us. You know that. But we do get to decide how we'll react to what happens to us. Which begs the question, why do people react the way they do? How do they choose to act the way they act? Now, there's different ways of looking at it. One of the ways I'd like to suggest to you is that people react in one of four ways. For instance, people react according to their circumstances. Whatever's going on around them, that's what they respond to. If things are up, they're up. If things are down, they're down. They're just going to be that chameleon reflecting what's happening around them. Others will choose the convenience route. What's easiest for me? And what's the path of least resistance that I can take right now? Others will respond to that critical eye around them. Um, They're worried about criticism. What will others think of me? That's how they're going to respond. If your dominant behavior is this, then it becomes a gauge for every decision. What clothes do I buy? What car do I drive? Who are my friends? It's all based on what I want others to think about me. But if you want to stand strong, if you want to be able to stay up when life is trying to beat you down, If you want to make an impact, then let me suggest this fourth way. Not circumstance, not convenience, not criticism, but rather conviction. These are people who ask, what matters most? In my response, what matters most? I will tell you this way of living is not always easy, but it can make the most significant difference in life. And this morning, we're going to meet three men who have remarkable conviction. We begin in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. An interesting detail about what's just shared with us there in Scripture. The plain of Dura is just north 
of the ancient city of Babylon, lying there between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And in the center of this plain of Dura, there's a hill. It's an anomaly. It just stands out by itself. It's a high prominence. And archaeologists have found ancient fortifications right there. The hill is the only rise in this vast plain. It's a great place to put something that you won't notice. So it sort of makes sense that that's where the king would choose to put this statue. The statue, we are told, is about 90 feet high. And the king has gathered around the statue all his leaders, his musicians, all the people have been ordered to assemble there. Everybody is poured out of the city. Then the king says, we're going to have a dedication. But as the festivities start, there's an important requirement. The herald proclaimed, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the music, no surprise, all the nations, people of every language, fell down and worshipped the image, the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, of course. And what's the alternative? This blazing furnace that had been stoked for days that they could see. But as it turns out, in this vast crowd that are all prostrate, obeying the king, there are three men that are still standing. Everybody else has fallen down. Everybody else is cooperating, except these three. And out of this act of disobedience comes Bedlam. If you read the story of these 30 verses from chapter 3, you could feel the plot thickening, the tension building. But to look at their story, I want to do it by framing it against three questions. Three questions that I think are important and can lead to an amazing outcome. Questions that I think we all have to ask when we're just trying to decide if we're going to be people of conviction standing up when life is trying to beat us down. The first question is this. What is my core identity? Make it personal. What is your core identity? The Bible tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three still standing, all had identities that closely aligned with the government of Babylon. They were imported officials. That happened in chapter 2. They ruled over the province of Babylon. They worked for, they served the king, they enforced Babylonian law. But their core identity was not that. Their core identity was as a worshiper of the God of Israel. So what is your core identity? Is it your ethnicity or your work? Is it your political affiliation or your net worth? I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can ask this. Is your core identity your gender or your accomplishments? Or is your core identity rooted in a relationship with a loving God, with Jesus Christ? At the core, do you see yourself as a child of God? I want you to listen to verse 12 as some of the king's followers came to Nebuchadnezzar. Your majesty, they said, there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Good chance to get rid of them. But you can see in these three men 
that their core identity is shaping their convictions. They know the furnace is there. They know what the penalty is. And yet they did not kneel. They're fine serving the king, but they will not worship the king or the gods of the king. They will not compromise their core, which is, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you worship. I told you, to look at this story, we have to ask three convictions, three questions about conviction. So, this first one is important. What is your core identity? I mean, people are going to see it. It's going to shape how you respond. What is your core identity? Is it pleasure, power, influence, attention from others? Maybe it's religion or sports or making money. Jesus made it clear that following God needs to be the core conviction in our lives. Because if you're going to stand up when life is beating you down, you've got to make sure you know what your core identity is. But there is a second question that a lot of us just gloss over. You could spend your whole life in church and never ask this question. But it's an important one. Why? Why do I follow God? Is it convenience? Is it one of those others? Is, you know, you don't want to be criticized, so you're just going along with the crowd? What's the reason you follow God? king, in fact, tries to make it convenient for these three men. He invites them to take advantage of a second chance. Paraphrasing, he would have said, in essence, guys, you may not have heard clearly. And I'm not looking to have to throw you into the furnace, but can you just bow down a little bit? And then we can go on with the festivities. Have that concert. But they refuse, and here's their response. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not, we will not serve your gods and worship the image of gold that you've set up. That's conviction. Why do you follow God? Because if you don't know the answer to that question, if you haven't thought about it and worked at it, It's probably the first thing you'll run away from when it gets really hot. Is it circumstance? Is it convenience? Is it criticism, worrying about what others think? Or do you follow God because of conviction? Conviction which says, even if God does not rescue us, we will not compromise. If you know the story, a miracle takes place. But in the middle of this miracle comes that third question. I think a question that all of us have struggled with through these last few years. Do I believe that God is always with me? Do you believe that? That God is always with you? It might be easy to say, but what about when it gets really rough? The men, these three men, are tossed into the fire, a fire which is so hot, some of the guards lose their lives just getting near it. It should have been instantaneous cremation, but we read, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Well, certainly, your majesty, they said. The king says, look, 
I see four men. They're walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. These three men had no assurance that they wouldn't be consumed by the fire. But they had no doubt that God would be with them in or out of the furnace. That conviction ran deep in them. So that question again, do you believe that God is always with you in or out of the fire? It's easy. Out of the fire, the easier times, the good times. But what about those really difficult times? You may have heard of Sir Ernest, Ernest Shackleton. He took the ship Endurance and his crew on a mission to explore the South Pole. While there, they were trapped by the sea ice, and it crushed, literally crushed the ship. Shackleton took two of his sailors, and in an open lifeboat, they traversed 800 miles, leaving the crew behind, trying to find help. 800 miles through the Atlantic Ocean, on the south end of the world. Well, they did eventually find help, and eventually every one of the crew was rescued. Everybody wanted to know, how'd you do it? Shackleton, when he got back to England, was asked to speak at the Explorers Club. Tell us the story, they said. Shackleton had never been considered a religious man, but this incident changed his life. In his speech, he read from this chapter, Daniel chapter 3 and Psalm 139. Here's part of what he said to the group. We all felt that there were not three but four of us. One of the men said, Boss, I have this curious feeling that there's another person with us. In fact, we always felt, Shackleton said, that there was something from above. Shackleton called that presence the fourth man. He had come to believe that God was always with him. But we're not talking about explorers. Or three Jews who lived a long time ago. We're talking about you. Do you believe that God is always with you? No matter what you're facing, feast or furnace, do you believe that God is always with you? Because if you do, it changes your conviction. It changes how you face the temptation to compromise. Oh, there's a lot of temptation to compromise right now. Screws are tightening, the pressure's on. We're seeing it play out. And most people are going to bow down. But what about you? Where's your conviction? Because that will be your legacy. I know that some of you are struggling right now. You feel like you're in the furnace. Maybe it's an addiction or you're struggling with an important relationship. Could be the way you feel about yourself. That might be your furnace. Maybe it's your workplace or your finances. Or for many people, it's your health. Maybe you're just worried about the future. That furnace can look like a whole lot of things. But it goes back to that question. Do you believe that God is with you? Because if you do, it changes the experience. It doesn't mean that you won't have to go through the furnace, but it will change what happens in the furnace. Three men were tossed in the furnace, and as it turns out, were not consumed. 
So we pick the story up in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. You hear it? They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. The end of the story is that the king ends up promoting these men where they were forfeit. Now they're honored. The king recognizes that he needs people of conviction surrounding him. He wants those guys on his team. You might be wondering about your life. Maybe you're thinking, how could I possibly make a difference in this world? That's the wrong way to approach it. That's not how it works. It begins with deciding to be a person of conviction. Known for your credibility and your integrity, then you will have influence and it can be powerful. God will work with you to change a life, to change a community. God can use you to change the world. If you're willing to say no compromise, I serve a living God and no other. If you struggle with conviction, you can change that. But you've got to ask those questions. You've got to discern what your core identity is. You've got to ask the question, why do I follow God? And do I believe that God is always with me? And then simply say, Lord, direct my life. I'm not going to bow down. And as God is with you, you can face any furnace, any challenge that comes in life. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to face those very challenging times with the conviction that we are yours and nothing can separate us from that great love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You will hardly get through this day our day this week before the opportunity comes for you to compromise, just to fit in, do what's convenient. Or you can live with conviction. You can say, I know who I am. I serve the living God and I will not compromise. Live with conviction as you go now in peace and go in love. Amen.